Hello and welcome back to the Art of Health podcast where we dive deep into the art of unlocking your true potential and transforming your health, aesthetics and performance. I'm your host Marie Steffen, health and fitness coach with over a decade of experience in this field. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my personal best tips, valuable insights and the wisdom gained from coaching thousands of people just like you. Hey guys, in one of my last episodes, I talked about how you can assess progress in your training, including your strength, endurance and mobility, and how to track progress in your physique. I assume most of you pursue goals in both areas, aesthetics and performance. And I will link both episodes in the description below so you can listen to them after this one. This episode is all about the optimal training intensity to build muscle and increase performance. Finding the right intensity for your training can be very tricky and is quite subjective too. You might ask yourself, shall I stop an exercise when it burns? Do my muscle need to fail completely? Do I need to suffer maybe harder or shall I do less? And even if we would know the right intensity, many women are afraid to use more weights or train harder, especially in a setting of a global gym. Thoughts come up like, what if I can't lift the weight and people would stare at me? What if it is too much and I get too bulky? And then we have the other side of the spectrum, people who almost throw up after a session and call it a successful training day. They have thoughts like, did I really do enough? Maybe I should do one more set and punish themselves with negative self-talks when they couldn't use more weights or do more reps. And of course, many people are just between those extreme sides. That's why I want to discuss with you today what indicator you can use for optimal training intensity and reveal the signs that tell you whether you should train harder or less intense for better results. First, I want you to walk through the obvious signs that tell you that you are training at a too high or too low intensity. Signs you're training at a too low intensity are, for example, you are afraid to add more weight or you are afraid to gain too many muscle, or you are rarely sore, you're not feeling exhausted during or after your training session, or you're not getting stronger. And signs you're training at a too high intensity could be, you compromise in technique to add more weight. You're often injured or feel some type of discomfort. You need more than 48 hours to recover from a workout. You feel post-workout depression or you might experience very big highs and lows of your strength training sessions like sudden strength drops. And maybe it's tough for you to do a rest day. So if you realize that you tend more towards one extreme, I'm actually curious what extreme you leaning towards too. So let me know in the comments and I am excited to read from you. And in the next steps, we will discuss how to measure your training intensity and which guidelines you can use to find the optimal amount. Before we dive into these guidelines, I would like to take a moment to express my gratitude for my partner, AG1. 
over the past three years, AG1 has become an integral part of my morning routine, and I genuinely look forward to it each day. My journey with AG1 began when I was on the quest for a truly foundational supplement that not only tasted great, but also offered the convenience without the need for swallowing pills. I was seeking a high quality product that could provide me with all the essential nutrients to kickstart my day feeling at my best. That's when I discovered AG1, a science-driven blend of vitamins, minerals, good bacteria, antioxidants, and whole food source ingredients. After personally experiencing the remarkable benefits of AG1, I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor of this podcast. My morning rituals involves mixing AG1 with a scoop of chocolate protein powder and cold water. Because I'm such a routine person, my husband and I travel quite frequently and I ensure to carry AG1 with me wherever I go. It gives me the confidence that I'm supporting my energy, metabolism, focus and oxidative stress resilience of my cells. So I'm lucky to tell you that I have for you as my listener or viewer a special offer. So you can access AG1 along with free AG1 travel packs and vitamin D3 and K2 drops through the link provided in the top right corner of this video or in the description and show notes of the audio podcast. Vitamin D and K is especially valuable during those darker days when we don't receive as much sunlight. Additionally, AG1 is suitable for a wide range of dietary preferences, including vegan, gluten-free, egg-free, sugar-free, nut-free, and dairy-free diets. So you can enjoy its benefits knowing it aligns with your dietary choices. But now back to today's topic, measuring and finding the optimal training intensity for you. Since the perception of how intense an exercise feels like is very subjective, it is helpful to translate a feeling into numbers. And this is what the Swedish researcher Gunnar Borg did in 1982. He invented the Borg scale, also called the RPE scale, the abbreviation for rate of perceived exertion. Or you can also use the equivalent RER scale, rest in reserve. Both ways express the same thing. They are tools to measure the subjective intensity of a set in your training. Which one you use doesn't matter and can be chosen by preference. The RPE and RER scales ranges from 0 to 10. I also talked about the scales in my How to Assess Progress episode, but today I want to dive deeper into which RPE we want to stay at most of the time. Therefore, we need to know which number of the scale refers to what degree of intensity, which I will explain in a second for strength and endurance training. Related to strength training, an RPE 10 means you could not have done more reps or weight. RPE 9 equals you could have done one more rep, so you had one more rep in reserve. That's where we can choose to give a set rating in RPE 9 or RER 1. It's really just a matter of what expression you prefer. RPE 8 says you could have done two more reps. RPE 7, 
you could have done three more reps. RPE six, you could have done four more reps. RPE five, you could have done five more reps and RPE one to four is a very light effort where it is almost impossible to guess reps left in reserve. You can use this scale for many types of strength training, body weight or with weights, but the scale is also something you can use in endurance sports. So transfer to endurance training in RPE zero means you're obviously at rest. At an RPE one, you're breathing restful and could sing essentially. RPE two is when you can talk in complete sentences. An RPE three is a breathing that you can maintain for hours. And at RPE four, talking first becomes broken. At RPE five, heavier breathing begins. And at an RPE six, you take deep breaths and talking is avoided. RPE 7 refers to deep, forceful breathing, but it's still sustainable for you. And RPE 8 expresses an intensity where you cannot talk and it cannot be maintained beyond a few minutes. RPE 9 is when you're breathing very labored or breathless and is sustainable for only approximately one minute. And finally, RPE 10 equals an intensity where you're gasping for air. This intensity is sustainable for only maximum of 5 to 20 seconds when you do a sprint, for example. If you're listening and watching this episode on YouTube, you will see the scales on the screen so that you can take a screenshot of it. Now we want to frame the right intensities expressed in RPE. For strength training, an RPE of 6 to 8 or an RER of 4 to 2 is what we are aiming for in most of our sessions. We should just occasionally integrate RPE sets of 9 to 10 since training at such a high intensity is very taxing on the central nervous system. If you train too much and too often at such high intensities, chances are high that you will be hit by overtraining syndrome at some point and will be forced to rest for multiple weeks or maybe even months. But trust me, many individuals can't even push themselves so hard that they overtrain. So if you are someone who is leaning towards training too light, you probably shouldn't fear getting overtrained. People who are getting overtrained usually don't fear overtraining and still think they doing too little when they are already completely exhausted. You can avoid overtraining syndrome by following a well-designed workout program that considers all aspects for optimal progress and recovery. If you don't have a cohesive workout plan, feel free to test my workout app in which I'm releasing a brand new workout cycle every six to seven weeks that includes a structured increase of intensities followed by a deload week, which is a recovery week to allow for consistent progress. In my workout app, you will find strength and endurance workouts with prescribed RPE intensities. For a 20 minute plus run, for example, we aim for an RPE of two to four. Only if I want you to outperform a specific time, I might want you to do a 5K, for example, at an RPE of six to seven to see your fastest sustainable pace for a 5k. For tempo runs, which could look like something where I want you to run 1k faster alternating with 1k slower, 
the faster part should be around 6 to 7 and the slower part at 2 to 4. And this doesn't only refer to running, by the way. It could also be a bike ride or swimming, which I provide as an alternative in my program as well. So in case you want to follow my strength and endurance hybrid program, you will find the link to my app in the description below or in the show notes of the podcast you're listening to. But I want to give you just one more example for shorter intervals in the spectrum of 100 to 400 meters. Then we would aim for an RPE of 7 to 9. And a full out sprint from 50 to 100 meter would be an RPE at 9 to 10. So to remember this a little easier, the shorter the distances, usually the higher intensities unless we purposefully want to incorporate shorter distances at lower intensities. But if that's the case, then this should be explained in your workout. I know this sounds like many numbers for now, but take the screenshot next time into your training and just play around with it and you will see how quickly you get better at rating your training intensity. This helps you to compare your performance and see progress better because maybe in your next session or after a few weeks, the same weight performed with the same number of reps feels like a lower RPE, meaning easier, which is a sign of your body adapting and getting stronger or improved endurance. Now, if you are a beginner, it will be challenging to use the scale right away. You certainly can use them and play around with it, but a beginner in strength or endurance training won't be able to get a maximum set anyways because it takes time for the muscles and nervous system to build intramuscular coordination. Intramuscular coordination defines the number of muscle fibers that can be controlled in sync by the nervous system within a certain muscle. That means I don't expect a beginner in training to be able to go to a maximum like RPE 9 to 10. And therefore, it's very challenging to assess a feeling of an RPE of 5 to 7, for example. So if you're a beginner, I recommend you to choose a weight to perform the prescribed number of reps with proper technique. It will take you a little bit until you find your training weight. And if you realize the weight you chose was very easy, then add a little more weight and see if you can sustain proper technique with this weight for the given number of reps in the next set. Also note the weights you used in your program so you will find your workload much faster from session to session. And for bodyweight exercises, I recommend you perform as many reps as possible with proper form. If you see in my program, for example, that you should perform 5 to 10 push-ups but can't complete any rep, then I want you to do an easier version, like elevated push-ups. So if that's the case, don't be frustrated. I always provide a scaled version for advanced movements in my workout app so you can gain the strength needed to achieve the more challenging version. Working with RPE instead of only looking at weights or reps is also very useful when lifestyle factors like sleep, your period, stress and so on come into play. So when you are on your period, for example, and you feel a little sluggish and low energy, your RPE 7 will look different than on a high energy day. You might need to drop weights sets, reps, or even change the workout to lower the stress on your body. 
So that doesn't mean you lost strength or the workout is ineffective. It just means that your body is on lower energy and that it's best to lower stress by decreasing training intensity so that you can perform even better the days or week after. On days when life hits you with stress or poor sleep or anything like that, I want you to treat your body like you would treat your best friend. And I'm saying this because especially women, and I'm including myself too, often believe they have to push through. But if you do this, it will hit you even harder on another day when you are forced to rest or the other way around. If you struggle more often than not to actually go to the gym, then I also want you to encourage you to treat your body with love, which means in that scenario to do at least a light movement session or mobility, a walk or something else that brings you into movement with low stress and that is easy to accomplish for you. When you look back, you can probably say that you always felt better after moving than not. And in general, if you don't feel like training in the first place, it doesn't mean that it won't change. I have experienced this scenario many times myself and with clients. That's why I like the strategy of starting your session with the goal to move for 20 minutes and then you start with light movements or exercises you enjoy doing and if you then still feel sluggish and low energy you can still go home but at least you did something for 20 minutes but 80% of the time after your blood circulation starts to warm up your body you actually feel more and more motivated and might even finish your workout. So listen to your body, but also don't get fooled by your feeling before you work out. Most of the time, I don't feel like I'm dying to work out. It always needs a little bit of moving first until I get into the flow. Next, I want to talk about muscle soreness and whether it's good or bad. When I listed the signs that can indicate that you're training at a too high or too low intensity, I was saying that you can probably increase your training intensity if you are never sore. But too much soreness can also ruin your progress. You don't always have to be sore to ensure progress, but being sore in the optimal dosage is generally a good thing because it shows that you hit a new stimulus and that your body will adapt to it if you allow for enough recovery. That means to gain muscle and strength, we want to weaken our muscle temporarily by breaking the muscle fibers down so our muscle fibers can adapt and assemble to stronger tissue. So how do you know how much soreness is optimal? Muscle soreness can feel very different depending on the exercise and type of training you have performed. You can feel heavy muscles, tight muscles, a burning sensation and sensitivity when you come in contact with something, for example, sitting on the toilet after a an heavy and intense leg day or a quick burning during light daily movements like lifting your arms to reach for something. So these are all signs that you might be sore. In general, your muscle soreness shouldn't remain longer than 24 to 48 hours. Oftentimes soreness is occurring more intense on the second day after your workout. If soreness stays longer, it means you probably did too much. Based on these experiences, you can adjust your training intensity. 
but it will never be completely perfect because controlling everything to our desired outcome is impossible. Being aware of your body's signals and analyzing why they occur, like I mentioned earlier, when you feel weaker because you didn't sleep well or eat enough and making educated decisions and adjustments based on your experience is what will lead you to optimal progress. This is how you train smarter instead of just harder. That said, I want to quickly summarize today's complex and also very subjective topic of training intensity. It's crucial to find that sweet spot where you challenge yourself enough for progress without pushing too hard and risking injury or burnout. We discussed the signs that indicate whether you are training at the right intensity and I hope you have gained valuable insights into how to fine-tune your workouts. And remember, it's not just about lifting heavier weights or pushing yourself to the limit every time. It's about listening to your body, adapting to your circumstances and making educated decisions. We introduced the RPE and RER scales as tools to measure the subjective intensity of your sets, whether in strength or endurance training. These scales can be a game changer in your fitness journey, helping you make smarter choices for optimal performance. For beginners, don't worry if these scales seem overwhelming at first. Start with proper technique and gradually increase weights or reps as you build strength and confidence. And lastly, I emphasize the importance of self-care and listening to your body on days when life throws curveballs. So it's okay to adjust your training intensity to suit your energy levels, stress or sleep quality. Taking care of yourself is a crucial part of the fitness journey. And I like the quote, taking care of yourself is productive. Remember, progress in fitness is a journey, not a destination. So keep listening to your body, stay consistent, and most important, have fun. So if you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends, family members, or followers. Your support really means the world to me. And stay tuned for my next episode. Until then, take care, train smart, and thanks for listening.